Good morning, Crossroads. I want to thank you all for being here this morning. For those of you who are joining us online, I want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you're here in the auditorium with us here this morning, would you please stand and worship with us?
praise our voices here this morning. Sing praises to the Lord our Father. Water you turn into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. None like you. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer. Awesome and power. Our God. Our God. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. None like you. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer. Stop us. And if I got in the witness, then what you say? 
Amen, amen. You guys can have a seat. He is worthy, and that's why we sing. Amen. Amen. He is worthy to be praised. Glad to be with you guys here in the building and online. Guests, if we have any guests in the house or online, we want to say welcome. If you're here in the building, please do us a favor. Stop by the Welcome Center as you leave. We'd love to talk with you and connect with you. And we have something to give you by just saying thanks for being a part of our church and hanging out with us today. So I encourage you guests, just hang out and just see what we're all about. Crossroads is all about one thing, bringing people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. That's why we do what we do. From the kids to the students to singing to preaching we are about jesus christ amen amen can we get a little bit more uh lively this morning church come on i know our ladies are away on the retreat but that don't mean we can't make a holy ruckus right so listen i just want to encourage you guys god's doing a whole lot here and want to let you know what's happening one is that we have our extravaganza coming up on april 9th and so you can do a couple things one, if you would like to serve and be a part of that team, uh, you can you can look in the bulletin. You can find out more information. You can go to our website. Also, stop by the Welcome Center and let them know you're interested, and they'll get you connected with Kim and Chrissy. And then also, too, church, sign your kids up to be a part of this day. Encourage your family and friends and your neighbors and your you know Avon lady and all them. Invite your friends and have them sign their kids up. It's going to be a great day on April 9th. You can find out all the information and how to sign up on the front page of our website. And then Good Friday is coming, and uh, we're going to be having our night of worship and communion at 7 p.m. on Good Friday. And then we'll be having Easter, uh, our Easter gatherings uh, Saturday at 6 and then 9.30 and 11 on Easter Sunday. So, listen, we're going to be talking about Jesus. We're going to be talking about Jesus. We're going to be talking about Jesus because... That's that's what we're about, and that's the most important thing is talking and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so please plan to join us for Good Friday and for our Easter services. But God's been good to us, and one of the things he's grown us in always as we follow Jesus is giving. And so church, thank you for your faithfulness in giving through the mail, uh, the boxes on the wall, uh, and also too for giving online. God has been good to us, and we are just continuing to worship him through our finances and our giving. So God is... Um, God's just challenging us and changing us all over the place. So um, God is, is, just, is, is really doing a, new de- doing a new thing. You know, Scripture says he's doing a new work. It's a new day. He's doing a new thing. And we're seeing lives changed all over this church, all over this community for Christ. And so God is so good. And isn't that awesome we get to be a part of it? Isn't that really cool? I think that's, I think that's incredible. Um, so one of the things I just want to, like, just cue us all in is we, um, as we continue on, let's just really focus in on what Jesus has done for us. Just like that song saying, he is mighty to save. Would you guys pray with me as we continue on this morning? Lord, you are mighty to save. And, Lord, as we think about all that you have done for us uh, through your son Jesus on the cross, Lord, because we've been changed, it makes us want to go out and talk about this change that can happen in someone's life to experience grace and mercy and love and forgiveness truly for the first time. We want to take that and share that message of hope. Lord, be with your church as we continue in song, and Lord, as we hear from your word and grow as we walk more closely with you and take this light that we have in Jesus to this dark world. We love you, Jesus. We ask all things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Would you guys stand as we continue on this morning? Oh, you are no lofty 
24 hours of the life of Jesus, we've been walking through from sundown on the, uh, on, on the day before all the way through. We're going to make it all the way through to the crucifixion here. And as we started out, we looked at the Last Supper just a few weeks ago. And, and as you're going through and you're thinking about the last day of Jesus, you obviously know because you've heard it before about the crucifixion that's coming. It's in his last 24 hours. But as we're studying it, we're looking at it, we're seeing that Jesus keeps ministering all along the way, even though it's painful, even though it's overwhelming, even though there's torture. Jesus keeps ministering like he doesn't shut down his ministry like he still is caring for everybody around him all along the journey. And I want to encourage us as you look at that to uh, to take that principle into our life. But as you go through this, I want you to understand that the crucifixion, when you think of a crucifixion, quite often many people think that Jesus was crucified and he was the only one, him and two thieves, right? Well, Jesus was not the only person to ever be crucified. Um, he was the only person to be crucified that paid for your sin, but he was not the only person to ever be crucified. When Jesus came to this earth, before Jesus came to the earth, there had been many people that had been crucified. As a matter of fact, uh, hundreds of years earlier, the Persians started out, they used crucifixion as a way of execution. Uh, the Carthaginians used crucifixion. The Macedonians used crucifixion. 300 years before Jesus arrives on the scene, there is a, a man by the name of Alexander the Great. He takes down the city of Tyre, and he, on one single day, crucifies 2,000 men. So when you think about this, it was a way that you killed a criminal. It was an execution of criminals, and it was a terrible, brutal death. Um, they never put them, there was never clothes on somebody on a cross. You hear about Jesus had a loincloth on, that's it. Well, that's because that's how criminals died. Uh, whenever they put a criminal up on a cross and they crucify him, it was all about humiliation and deter. Humiliation and deter. They put, the, put your crime above you on top of the cross and say, this was your crime. You do this crime, this is where you're going to end up. Today in our culture, we, we use a word whenever we're in pain. It's called excruciating. Do you ever, you ever say that, man? I was in excruciating pain. Um, well, that word excruciating comes from a Latin word that means out of crucifixion. Like the, the, the Romans, they, they knew that this was so painful, was such a painful way to die. They had to come up with a word to, to explain excruciating, to explain that pain. So whenever you use that word, remember the, the root of that word. Come from that very, this very torturous way of death, excruciating, out of a crucifixion, out of that type of pain. But I, I want you to think with me this morning here that, um, that, that this, the brutality of the, of the cross that was coming for Christ. Cicero said it like this. He said, he said that uh, crucifixion was the most cruel and disgusting punishment. He suggested that the very mention of the cross should be removed not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, and from his ears. Elsewhere, he went on to say this. He said, it is a crime to bind a Roman citizen. To scourge him is a wickedness. To put him to death is almost parricide. What shall I say of crucifying him? So guilty an action cannot be by any possibility be, be adequately expressed by any name bad enough for it. So even Cicero says, hey, listen, this crucifixion is, is the most brutal, terrible way to die. And so as we look into today's passage, we're going to be talking about a guy named Barabbas. And Barabbas was a criminal. And Barabbas is this criminal. He's waiting in his jail cell. I want you to think about this. He's waiting in his jail cell, and he knows that crucifixion is coming for him. 
He's seen other people be crucified. He knows that he's guilty. They got him. He's, he's, he's got one more step he's got to go, and then he's going to go on to the cross. So he's sweating bullets. He, he just cannot believe this is happening to him, and he knows that he's about to die. He is guilty, guilty, guilty. And then we bring Jesus into the scene. And I want us to catch this today because we're, we're, where Barabbas enters the, the picture of Jesus, where Barabbas connects with the story of Jesus, is where you and I connect with the story of Jesus. Mark chapter 15, verse 1. Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. Binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Very early in the morning. Remember, we started off at the Last Supper. Then Jesus gets betrayed at nighttime. Why was he betrayed at night? Because if they did this at daytime during this festival, where there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people upon the city, it would uh, it would cause a, he would have all kind of riots. There'd be all kind of things that maybe they wouldn't get it done. So they go through and they push this through in the middle of the night. So they meet with the high priest at one in the morning. And we looked at that last week. We looked at the trial that, they, that they're meeting with him in the middle of the night. And then this morning we're moving over. It says early in the morning. The concept here is about 6 a.m. Just at the crack of dawn. So it's right around 6 a.m. And, uh, and, and it says here, it says that the elders and the scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. So what, what it means here is that they came and they made their decision. They, they have went through their trial. They did this thing in, in the middle of the night. And then they get together and they say, okay, here's what's got to happen. He's blasphemous. We've got to get him crucified. We're taking him to Pilate. You see, what he had done, those people had made their decision. If you go through the book of Mark, we took 36 weeks Last year, and we went through the book of Mark all the way up till Christmas last year. We went through verse by verse, looking through, and we kept saying, who Jesus is, who is Jesus, who is Jesus. And as we went through there, we found out Mark built his case that this was God in the flesh. That this was God of creation. The very God of creation was coming down and speaking to his creation. The creator is speaking to his creation. He was God of the spirit world. I mean, he could cast out demons. He had authority over demons. He cast out demons. He had the command of angels. Uh, God himself speaks at his, at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Mark has made this so that you can make your decision. You see, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they rejected. They made their decision. Mark is writing for you to have the decision. He, Mark shows us he's the God of disease. He would, he would heal people. People with leprosy that nobody would even get close to. Jesus wasn't afraid and went up and touched them. He's the God that would, uh, that would raise, a, raise a, a lame, a cripple, would raise the dead. He would help all kind of people with diseases and sickness. He was the God who had command over molecules. Man, as he spoke, the very molecules would, would rearrange and would change. He's the God known as the Son of Man. Eighty-three times Jesus comes along and he refers to himself in the book of Mark as the Son of Man. He's making it clear. Hey, you, you scribes, you Pharisees, you go back and read in Daniel chapter 7. You read this prophecy whenever it says that God will be coming in the clouds, the Son of Man. That's me. And he says, I like how the Scriptures talk about me. And he goes around and, he, and he's letting it be known. The Son of Man, the Son of Man. And even in his trial in the middle of the night, he says that the Son of Man, you will see his power. And he's referring to himself. And so Mark says, hey, here, you make the decision. Now it's 
Passover week and everybody's come. They've got their palm branches. People were waving palm branches just a few days ago. And where'd they get all the palm branches? They brought them with them. Uh, they, they came into town. And why would they bring palm branches into town? Well, because whenever you come into town like Jerusalem, and you would see thousands upon thousands, I mean, this town would just swell. They wouldn't have enough room for people. There wasn't enough hotels. There wasn't enough lodging places. People would often take their palm branches and make these little lean-tos with them, little little huts, if you will, and, and just a, kind of a makeshift place to stay so they could enjoy the Passover celebration. And so you could just see all these people all over the place in these little things. And as Jesus comes marching into town on his, uh, on his donkey, riding into town on the donkey, there they are, they're waving these palm branches, save now, save now. And Jesus comes along, and they take them, they, they, they do this in the middle of the night because they know if they mess with that whole situation that they're not going to get their will done. They're not going to be able to, you know, they'll have an uprising. It could be all kind of craziness. Mark chapter 15, verse 2, Pilate questioned him. So they bring him before Pilate. So why did Pilate have to question him? Well, you had two, two branches of the government at that point. Rome had come in and Rome had taken over Israel. And so what Rome would do, it was kind of cool. Rome would say, okay, you guys, you, you get the role a little bit. We're going to use you guys. And so they would use the religious leaders. Look throughout history, you saw that quite often, didn't you? You saw the religious and the political would be tied together. It's a very dangerous combination, right? You'd see, you'd see this tying of the two. So what Rome would do is Rome would say, we're, we're in charge, but we're going to let, let, the, let your Sanhedrin, whatever you guys are, we're going to let you run your country. You can, you can handle the daily affairs. You can handle, you can try certain things. There's certain things that you can do, but we still get all the tax. We still get the resources. We don't want any problems down there. So Pilate comes in. They, they've got to have Pilate. Pilate was the, the Roman right to be, to, to be able to take capital punishment. You see, the Jewish Sanhedrin didn't have the right to do that. The the, uh, the Roman authority, they said, you can do all this, but if you're going to execute somebody, you've got to get Rome involved. If you're going to take a life, Rome's got to be involved. So they push this thing through in the middle of the night. Then they get Pilate. Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered. Then Jesus says, it is as you say. It's kind of like saying yes and no, right? He says, as you say, you said it. The chief priest began to accuse him harshly. So you see all this argumentation begins to come. If you go through and you look over in Luke and you look at Matthew's account, you'll see that there was a, a lot of interaction that was happening where they were coming and they're making their case. And, and listen, Pilate's just sitting there going, listening to them. Wah, 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 wah. He's hearing them go on and on and on because they're bringing up a lot of the religious issues. The religious issues mean nothing to Pilate. Absolutely nothing to Pilate. But whenever they said, he thinks he's the king of the Jews. You see what happened? Now they brought in an issue Rome would be concerned about. That issue was an insurrection. That issue was treason. This guy thinks he's going to be the king of the Jews. Well, Pilate, this is his territory. He's the governor, and he's got to take care of this. Pilate questioned him again and said, do you not answer See how many charges, see how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. And Pilate was amazed. Pilate was absolutely amazed. You know why Pilate was amazed? Pilate came into town. Pilate didn't even live in Jerusalem. Pilate lived out in Caesarea Maritime. He was out by the sea. 
So he would he would be out there enjoying his life. You know, it's like the governor. He, he's out there and you're happy he's out there. Right. It's like, how often does the governor make it to Pittsburgh? We don't care. Right. So we're happy. We're able to do our thing out here. Right. So if the governor comes in uh, and what was happening when the governor would come in at that time, when Pilate would come in, it'd be entourage of power. Be the, be the soldiers everywhere, chariots. It would just be all this in your face, like Rome in your face to the locals, right? So, so here, the governor lived out there. But on these big days, on the days of the, of the, whenever there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, when a whole nation is coming over to one city to have a festival, uh, that's the day Pilate got to show up. You see, because Rome only wanted a couple things. Rome said, we want money. We want resources, and we want no problems. So, Pilate, if you keep your job, here's how you're going to keep it. You get us the money, you get us the resources, and you have no problems. We don't hear no uprising. We don't want to hear no trouble out of that little dinky place over there. So, Pilate, if you can do that, you can enjoy a good life at your, at your home. Enjoy it. So, he has to come into town. So, Pilate was in town anyhow. He'd been in there since Sunday, since Palm Sunday, because this is the seven-day feast. This is the seven-day festival. So, he's in town, and they have a little place that he actually stays inside of Jerusalem whenever he comes into town. As a matter of fact, it's not far from the temple. There's a lot of friction between the Jews that day, uh, in this time, whenever Rome would come in and set up not far from the temple. But this is where they would come. And so they brought Jesus out and they, they bring him out to this place and they're going to try him before Pilate. They needed Pilate to get the to get the execution. If they didn't have Pilate, if they didn't have Rome, they couldn't get the execution. And then here's what happens. Jesus here, as you see the verse there, it says that um, uh, verse four, the Pilate questioned him again and says, don't you see the charges against you? But Jesus says nothing. Jesus is just quiet. And Pilate was amazed. I want you to think about this. Because there's a few things here about the silence of Jesus. Number one was that in Isaiah 53, 700 years earlier, the prophet foretold this is what the suffering servant, what the Messiah would be like. It says this, that he would be oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus is sitting there. He's ready to take the price of the sin of the world. He knows he has to go through this, and he is not going to say a word. Do you realize that he was amazed? Why was Pilate amazed? Pilate was amazed because nobody made it this far. Nobody comes before Pilate knowing that they're going on to that cross. Like all the criminals they've seen before, they're guilty. They know they've been charged. What they do, they try to get out of it at that point. They keep coming and they come up with the last thing. Hey, take care of my family. I want my land and, uh, and just going on and on and on every detail they could to try and get out of this disastrous torture that was about to take place on the cross. And Pilate is amazed because Jesus sits there and says nothing. Oh, did Jesus just do that because he knew that's what it said in Isaiah? Well, Jesus knew the scriptures. I mean, he knew, I mean, he said, I am the son of man. Look how the Bible talks about me. I am the son of man. And so he goes about his life like this. Did he just sit there because he knew he wasn't supposed to say something? Or did he sit there knowing 
that if he was to defend himself, it would change the course of history. I want to suggest to you this, that Jesus made his defense not before Pilate, not before the chief priest, but eight hours earlier in the Garden of, Semini, Garden of Gethsemane, he made his defense before the Father. And that's where he said, Lord, I don't want to die excruciating. Is there another way, Lord, any other way but excruciating? Is there any other way? I don't... It, God, give me another way. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And the father says, son, you know what you got to do. Son, remember the mission. You got to go. Judas is on the way. You're about to be betrayed. Son, it's the will of the father now. And so he goes, he's before Pilate, and he's silent. And now check this out. He had to be silent. Why was he silent? He didn't defend himself because he needed to defend you on the cross. Now catch that. Jesus didn't defend himself at his trial. He had to defend you on the cross. When Jesus died and paid for our sins, he did that to pay for your sin. He took your, your pain, your suffering. He took your sin, was laid upon him. Isaiah 53 says it like this, uh, verse 3. Isaiah 53, verse 3 says that he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. By the wounds of the Lord we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him. The iniquity of us all. So when Jesus, listen, at his trial, you wonder why he was silent? Listen, no criminal, nobody came that far. Nobody got before Pilate knowing that the the verdict is coming down, that they're going to the cross. Nobody did it without screaming, without coming up with some defense. And here's Pilate. Pilate's looking at him and Pilate is amazed. You know why he's amazed? Because he's not defending himself. And yet, Pilate knows this guy is not guilty. Pilate has nothing that he can go come against him. And I want you to catch it here, because look at this. Verse 6. Now at the feast, he used to release one of, uh, uh, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. So they would come at the feast. And this was very normal for the, for, uh, the governor to come in. It'd be a political move. You know how politicians have to do those political things, right? Come in and score up some points over there, right? How would they score up some points? Well, please the crowd. Why would he release one at, the fast, at this Passover? Think about what the Passover was. It was about a slave being released. The Passover, all the slaves, the, the, the nation of Israel was the nation of slaves, and they were released. So he would come into town and pick a prisoner, and they would say, you pick the prisoner, and I'll release him. So at the feast, they were used to him doing that during that time. Verse 7, the man named Barabbas has been imprisoned with the insurrectionist 
who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. So the crowd comes up and they're putting pressure on him. And and the crowd is, you know, when Mark's writing this, he wants the people of the day would know about that insurrection. Like Mark doesn't give us too many details about the insurrection, but he's giving he's giving it about the insurrection and the people who were still alive. Remember, Mark's only written a, a short time. A lot of the people are still alive uh, that were would have been alive in that day. They're, oh, yeah, I remember that insurrection. So Barabbas was part of that insurrection. Josephus talks about the insurrectionist. Josephus was the Jewish Roman historian. Right. And so what he did was he would he writes for us about the insurrectionists. He talks about a group known as the Sikakarians, the Sikakarians. They were they were known as the Sikakarians after after the Sikar. It was a uh, it was a long dagger. And so what the Sikakarians would do, they would go into the crowds of people. During these festivals, there would be crowds of people. And, you know, as you're bumping, you know, trying to get through your crowd, they would go in and they would do what they felt necessary. They would go in and they would take down the person that they felt was a traitor, a Jewish person that was a traitor to Rome. They would come along and they would take down anybody that would uh, that they thought was against the nation of Israel because they were the insurrectionists, right? They were going to go and do what they had to do. They would take their long dagger. They would go into the crowd and they would just take their long dagger, have it under their under their under their cloak, and they would come along and they would just kind of come with this long skinny dagger, stab the person. Walk away, let them die, and kind of mingle amongst the crowd. Like they would never get caught. You wouldn't be seeing them until finally somebody figured out, hey, you're one of those Sikakarians. Hey, you're one of those insurrectionists. Imagine Barabbas. Barabbas is accused of murder. Imagine whenever they came to him, you know, you're, you're a friend of Barabbas. Hey, Barabbas, what did you do? Did you kill a tax collector? Did you rob the tax collector? Why, why are you in jail? And here he is, he's in jail, he's waiting to die. He knows he's guilty. And, uh, and now the crowd comes, and here's this innocent man, Jesus, who has done no wrong, not even one sin, nothing wrong ever once, and he is not guilty, but they're putting him up, and so they're saying, hey, are you the king of the Jews? Well, you said it. Verse 9, Pilate answered them, saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. So what was happening was in a good political move, Pilate's saying, there's no way the crowd will want me to kill an innocent guy. So I'm going to let the crowd. See, here's what he, he was in between this ruling party of the Sanhedrin. He was in between this religious arm and Rome. You see, if, if whatever he decides here, if he makes a bad decision, he is going to have an uprising. So if, if, he, if he says, man, I release this innocent guy, this guy is innocent, and if I let him go, man, I'm going to have a crowd. This crowd's cheering to me to release a prisoner. He says, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? For he was aware of the envy that had, uh, from the chief priest. They had, Jesus had a bigger following than the chief priest. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd and asked him to release Barabbas instead. Answering him again, Pilate said to them, What's, Then what shall, we, what shall I do with whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him! Like this was the court. This was, this was common. This is where you took the criminals. So they're saying, That man who's the king of the Jews... 
He is the one to crucify. But Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate's, Pilate's perplexed. He's in, a, he's in a tough spot here. He's got Rome to deal with. He's got Israel to deal with. And man, if I don't do something, if I do something wrong here, I am going to lose my job. I'm going to lose everything. Verse 15, wishing to satisfy the crowd. I think that's one of the saddest statements all in the Bible. Wishing to satisfy the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Three times Pilate pleads the case of an innocent guy. If you go over and you read in Luke, you'll see that he says, I'm washing my hands of this. So they bring him a basin of water. And he makes a public display. <laughs> this is, no, no, this guy's innocent. No. And he washes his hands of it. But it wasn't good enough. He released the motor to be crucified. Uh, you know, you want to talk about having a bad day at work? This guy thought it was going to be just another festival. I'm going to be in town and all my authorities, all my power, it's going to scare them off. And I'm going to do my job and I'm going to get out of here and go back to the sea. While he's sitting on his, on his judgment seat, over in the book of Matthew, it tells us that uh, he gets a note. And could you imagine, you're about to make this big decision and you get a note. They bring them, hey, hey, sir, you better read this. I don't have time for that. I think you better read it. Well, who's the note from? It's from Mrs. Pilate. When you get a note from Mrs. Pilate, you better stop, right? You do the same, don't you? You got all kind of texts coming at you all day, but when Mrs. Pilate calls, you're on, the, you're, you're on it, right? Man, are they. He stops and reads it. And look what she says. While he was sitting there on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man. Last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. I couldn't sleep last night. I was messed up, man. Stay, don't hurt that guy. Man, a day. Here's, here's Pilate. Man, Pilate's got it tough. He can't deal with Rome. He can't deal with all these people. Now he can't even go home. I mean, it's tough. He can't even go home. His wife's mad. Everybody's mad. It's a tough day for this guy. Man, I want you to think about this. Verse, um, it's easy for us to choose the wrong Savior. You, You see what happened? Pilate came down, and Pilate says, here's two Two saviors. As a matter of fact, if you were to go over and read in Matthew, I believe it is, when he says Barabbas versus Jesus, some translations add in Jesus Barabbas. I I read that. I was like, where did that come from? Like, I haven't seen that in too many things, but I saw one or two translations put in Jesus Barabbas versus Jesus, the king of the Jews. I was like, what is that? So I did a little little background work, and I found out in some manuscripts, in some manuscripts, the word Jesus Barabbas is there because Jesus was a common name. And some people were like, hey, this is Jesus Barabbas, and Barabbas means this, it's Bar and Abba. Barabbas means um, son of the father. So you have Jesus Barabbas, son of the father, this is the criminal. He's a convicted criminal. Jesus, uh, Jesus Barabbas, right? So, versus Jesus, the Messiah, the King of the Jews. 
And so what was happening before the crowd? You say, why did this crowd reject him so badly? Because on one hand, uh, number one, the crowd that was there was a slightly different crowd. It wasn't the crowd who had come and stayed with the palms everywhere. Those people, they came in, they were coming in for a festival, and then they were leaving. This was down in the city. This was your inner city crowd that came in. Many of the people in this crowd were the people that Jesus overturned to change tables. And they're chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify that Jesus, the king of the Jews, because this other Barabbas, let me tell you about Barabbas. You know what Barabbas did? Barabbas killed 10, 12 guys, right? We don't know many details about him, but let's just say he killed a number of people in the insurrection. Barabbas was part of the insurrection. We want that Jesus over there. We, we want the one who's done something for us now. But, but this one over here, this Jesus over here, he hasn't killed any Romans. We want the guy who's trying to help us now. Even though he's guilty of murder, but at least it's murder so that we can get out of this Roman oppression. Release him, release him now. And it was so sad to see a crowd choose something so nearsighted that they chose a Barabbas. They chose this guy that was, um, that, that, that was, <laughs> going to do something for him. Listen, Barabbas couldn't help them overthrow Rome. And he said, we want that Barabbas. In the meantime, Jesus was the son of man. He was going to be the riding on the clowns. He's the one long foretold. He, he, he healed people. He raised the dead. I mean, he did everything. You see this. It's undeniable, the claims of who he is. And yet now the crowd says, we don't want that. We want this who can help us right now. I want you to think about that because in our life, it's so easy to choose the wrong Savior. I want to look at the three main characters here. There's three main characters. Number one is Pilate. He's the commander. You know what happened with Pilate? Pilate was a a good guy. I think he just got caught up into politics. It can happen out there, can't it? (laughs) You can get in a pickle out there. He had to please the crowd. You know what happened? He knew the right title and the testimony of the people. Pilate knew the right title and the testimony of the people. He knew that, hey, listen, this is Jesus. He knew all about the good things. He had heard so much about the good things. As a matter of fact, Pilate, if you read the other accounts, had sent Jesus back to Herod. You had the different arms of the government. He says, well, I don't really want to deal with this. You're going over to Herod. He goes over to Herod, and Herod says, man, look what Herod says here. Now, Herod, Luke 28 uh, 23.8. Now Herod, when he was, uh, Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him. He had wanted to see him because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some signs performed by him. Like the word was out about this guy who walked around and raised people from the dead. This guy was out about the guy who healed the leper. This guy was, the word was out. And Herod says, I'm very interested in this guy. I've heard good things about this guy. Maybe he'll do something good for me. And so Herod gets him and Herod's like, ah, I can't deal with this. This guy's, he's done nothing wrong. I'm sending him back to Pilate. Pilate, you go deal with it, right? So Pilate has to deal with it. So Pilate's up there and he's dealing with it. And here's what happened. Pilate knew the right thing about Jesus. But he didn't do the right thing with what he knew. Pilate feared the crowd more than he feared Christ. Pilate feared the crowd more than he feared Christ. And you know what? 
he makes this final decision whenever he looks and he says, okay, I'm worried that I will lose my position. If I, if I have an uprising in this town, if this place gets crazy because I don't, you know, I don't crucify this guy, I let him go free. If I have this thing happens, it's what's going to happen. It's going to affect me. And what he did was he chose the safe way over the right way. And folks, this is what happens to us, doesn't it? It's so easy to choose the safe way over the right way. It's so easy to choose what makes people happy over what is the right thing. It's so easy to to, to want to fit in. And I think that that as we look at the story of Pilate, man, boy, I'm I'm glad I wasn't Pilate. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I think I'm a Pilate all the time, aren't I? I think that Jesus is always on trial in front of us. And many times we choose the crowd instead of fearing Jesus. Like, do I really fear what Jesus says? If I do, it's going to change the way I live. It's going to change everything about me because if this Jesus is God, if he is truly the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if he is the Son of Man that's coming back, riding on the clouds, and that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is God, then something is going to happen if that's who he is. Or do I fear making you happy? Do I fear what people say? You know, it's easy for me to stand up here and talk in church, isn't it? Man, I can quote the Bible all day. You know why? Because I'm in church. When I go out there, you know what's really hard to do? It's to talk about Jesus. You know why? Because I'm not in church. Because out there, the world sees things a little differently. You see, that's what happened with the crowd. The crowd knew. The crowd knew the right title in the testimony. The crowd knew this is who he claims to be. They knew the testimony. They saw all these things that had happened. They knew the right thing. And listen, they weren't willing to surrender to his dominion. They knew that he claimed to be God. They knew his testimony, but they were rejecting him because they wanted the Barabbas who would say, save now. Give me something right now. And so what they do, they took the right information and they did the wrong thing with it. They chose to uh, they chose their culture over Christ. They chose their culture over Christ. And here's what happens. Who were the trendsetters of the day? Who was the cultural setters of the day? The cultural setters of the day, those were the priests, the Levites. These were the people who, who made the established. Hey, we do these festivals. We do these things. They had such influence on the culture that whenever they were in the crowd and they saw the chief priest saying, Hey, listen, crucify Jesus. Give us Barabbas. Man, they went right with the culture. And folks, I want to encourage you that today to understand that this is the big problem in our world is the culture over Christ. It is so easy for us to choose culture over Christ. Well, well, you know, culture is just so different today. Well, let me tell you how different it is. A hundred years ago, our government was a lot more aligned with this book, right? The, 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 the entertainment was closer to this book. Everything about our world lined up. And you know what? You could be, you could be in our country and say, man, I have this Judeo-Christian values and this ethics. And what has happened in mainstream today is that the cultural setters, the trendsetters, the people who are establishing the cultural norms, you know what they've done? They don't align with this. They, they say you go out and you pick your lifestyle based upon what makes you feel good, how you, whatever, 
And they don't take this into consideration. Remember the Ten Commandments used to be up in every courthouse, right? They were everywhere. Now they're taking them down. Why? Because there's not an agreement with it. The cultural setting says, hmm. And folks, I want to encourage you for this. is to understand that as we go out and we follow Christ, we're not called to be fitting in and to be happy with the culture. The culture will always be at odds from Jesus. Remember that. Culture is always on another page from God, and it's okay. But the problem comes whenever I want the cultural norm versus Christ. As a matter of fact, God's called us to go out and to affect the culture. That's what's supposed to happen. As believers, as followers of God, we're supposed to go out and we're supposed to say, we live by this and we're going to follow Christ. And we, yeah, we go out and we take our stand. But I'll tell you what, we do not have to be ignorant people. I don't think God's called us to be ignorant out there. We are called to be loving. We're called to use our mouth. We're be called salt and light out there. And there's times that the light is so bright that people's eyes are like, oh, turn it off. But I want you to know, when we go out there into this world, God has called us to go out and impact the world. And you can sit down with somebody who is, who is not following God, who does, who is saying, culturally I'm accepted, but according to the, that God that you love, that God, listen, you gotta help them see that, look, this God that you think is upset with you, He's not upset with you. He wants you to have eternal life. He loved you so much, he went all the way to the cross. And so we have to show them that the culture, listen, the crowd chose the culture over Jesus Christ. And so what happened to them? They chose what seemed best for them. They said, man, I'm just going to, we want Barabbas because this seems what's best for us right now. Barabbas, meaning son of the father. And we'll take this Barabbas, we'll choose this savior over the savior, over Jesus Christ. And then what about Barabbas? Oh, the con. We have the commander. Man, we have the crowd. Now we have the con. And what about the con? Barabbas? <laughs> he knew that he was guilty. You read in the passage, you don't see Barabbas standing up and say, Hey, I'm guilty. You should kill me. You don't see that, right? He, was, he knew that he was guilty. He, he was in the jail cell waiting to be killed. And, and people are chanting his name, free Barabbas, free Barabbas. And what ends up happening? But an innocent man ends up paying his punishment. An innocent man for Barabbas. The innocent man had paid the punishment, taken his punishment. And I want you to think about this. Because as, uh, if you were coming along and here, here it's Passover... And you were to come up and you say, all right, Barabbas has been set free. See, this is what happened. Barabbas got to go free. He was set free. Like the innocent man took his punishment. Barabbas was supposed to die. Barabbas was supposed to be on that cross and dead. And so you come up to Barabbas. It's, it's Passover. And Barabbas has been set free. Hey, Barabbas, what's, what's, your, what's your blessing? Oh. You're waiting for him to tell you something. And he looks. And, and you're waiting for him to tell you about his car. You're waiting for him to tell you about his land. Tell you that he's not sleeping in a jail cell. No, no, no. Barabbas says, you don't understand. My blessing. My blessing is that I should have been on that cross right there. Oh, come on, Barabbas. Tell me a little bit more. What, what are some of the good things? What are the blessings God's given you? No, no, no. You don't understand. I, that one in the middle... 
That was my cross. That should have been me. That's my blessing. My faith, that my substitute took the price of my sin. And I want you to know today that I'm a Barabbas. And you're Barabbas. Because we are guilty as charged. The wages of sin is death. And God says, you deserve to be on that cross. And God says, no, 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 no. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus says, I want you to step aside, Barabbas. You know, Jesus was looking and he was ministering all the way to the end. Jesus is on the cross and not only was he Barabbas' substitute on the cross that day, he was the substitute for me, for you, for all of mankind. And God says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of their sin because of what Jesus did on that cross. And so we've got to look at it like this. What's your blessing today? Oh, we go through that. Well, I got a new car. I got this. I got that. We got food in the fridge. You know, there's Christians around the world don't have any of that. Is God blessing them? You bet he is. Let's be careful not to interpret good things as the true blessing of God. The true blessing of God. That's my cross. That man kept silent. And he defended me. And I want to take us to the cross today. And I want to ask you this. Which Savior do you choose? Barabbas? Son of the Father? Or or Jesus, King of the Jews? Which Savior do you choose? You know, if you're choosing Barabbas, you're choosing things that will fix you now. Well, I feel good. This one, I can see this. This is tangible. Or I choose the king of the Jews, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the son of man, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. At the foot of the cross. So as we've been going through this journey, why didn't Jesus, why didn't he, why didn't he speak? He was on trial. Because he knew he had to defend you before the Father. And thanks be to God that he did. And when he paid the price for your sin, once for all, forever, it was over. It was paid in full so that you might have eternal life. And I want to ask you today, hey, as we're following God, are you worried about the crowd? Really? I worry about it, don't you? Because you can hear the crowd when the mob roars. It's nasty. I don't like when it wars. I don't like what they say. But I'll tell you what, you've got to listen to the voice of God. Don't listen to the crowd. Listen to the voice of the Lord speaking in your heart and your soul. Which Savior do you choose? Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed today, Jesus said in his word that he loves you. He came to this earth to pay for your sin. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Savior of the world, but He wants you to recognize Him as your Savior. I want you to look at that cross today and realize that we are Barabbas. We deserve to be nailed to that cross, but Jesus said, 
I'm going to pay the price for you. As a matter of fact, you couldn't even pay the price. God says, I want you to trust me. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. Today I want to invite you to become a child of God and to accept his payment, what he did on the cross. And maybe wherever you're seated today or online joining us, maybe you could just pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I am a Barabbas. I've sinned against the holy God. And I'm guilty as charged. But you paid the price on that cross for me. You were my substitute. You you paid the price for me. And I accept that offer of love and forgiveness right now. Thank you for dying, being buried, and rising again. I trust you with my heart and soul right here. And for others in this room, maybe you've been perplexed. Maybe you've been perplexed a little bit with, with how you handle the crowd. Maybe you're making some decisions to choose the easy way versus the right way. And I want to encourage you, as you stop listening to the crowd, keep listening to Christ, and do what he says... Watch the blessings flow. If he can rise from the dead, surely he has given you what you need to live for him today. Father, I pray you'll be with each one of us, Lord. We all struggle with the crowd. We all struggle with being need to please. We all struggle with hearing voices versus hearing your voice. God, I pray right now, we thank you, Lord, for those in this room that opened their heart to you. And, Lord, for others that online that open your heart to you today, Lord, we just thank you for that. And I pray for every decision that's being made in this place right now, God. Many people are, are, are just touched by your word right now, Lord. The, the, the enormity of your sacrifice. Thank you for giving us your word that we can look through these actual events that actually happen and take them from more than being a head knowledge to truly placing our faith in you. God, be with each person as we surrender to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song and and just praise God for who he is.